Well, now, loving God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together in this room be found pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. My brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been spending this season leading up to Christmas this year by moving through our story, um, the big story, our grand meta-narrative in in Scripture. And we've remembered together these past weeks that the lives we're living down here really are part of, of a cosmic drama, and that all of our individual stories are actually gathered into a much larger story. We began Advent by taking a peek at the final scene, because if we know how the story ends, we learn a great, a great deal about how to live our part of the drama in the meantime. And we find in the pages of scripture that at the end, even though it may be shrouded in mystery, it will somehow resemble Jesus the Christ. A day is coming when everything that's so horribly off balance down here will somehow be made right. And then having heard that final word uh, about who we are and who we will be, we took a look at the beginning of our story and we heard two words about us coming out of Eden. The first word is the word good. We were made wonderfully, every one of us, precious and prized in God's eyes, with God's very own image stamped in our clay. The second word coming out of Eden, which we heard last week, is the word alienation. We listened to the snake and reached past our limits, and sin became thoroughly at home in us. And so now you and I are caught in this universal human dilemma that all people of every world religion really are caught in, stated simply, we had some thou shalts that we failed to do. We had some thou shalt nots, and we did them anyway. And now we're at odds with God. This is the universal human experience, and this is what it means to say that you and I live fallen lives. We are sick with the sickness unto death, and we are powerless to make ourselves free. Well, today we come to Act 3 in our Christmas pageant, only today is different. In Acts 1 and 2, the word about us came out of Eden, but the word in Act 3 comes from Bethlehem. And this word refuses to be just a word. This is the word that actually became flesh. So Joseph went up from Nazareth to Bethlehem in Judah. He went with his fiancée, Mary, who was pregnant And while they were there, she gave birth to a son, her firstborn. She wrapped him in a blanket and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. See, this is the part where the author of the drama, who began it all with love and joy, but who has watched it for so long with tears, steps away from the director's chair and there at the most desperate hour, way off in a remote corner of the stage where almost no one is looking 
among poor people and their animals, a woman goes into labor and there's a cry. And what do you know? The author of the universe is born on stage, enters our world to join us and to show us a way we could never, ever find for ourselves. The Gospel of John and the book of Genesis both open with the same words, in the beginning. Both books want us to know that at the very start of things, before time, before creation, God was. But see, John takes it a step further. The word he refers to is Christ. John wants, to, wants us to know right away that Jesus the Christ is God and has been present from the very beginning. He is God of heaven and earth. But wait, there's more. This all-powerful God who created everything became flesh and lived right in the middle of us. Why? Why would God choose to take on all the frustrating limits of human flesh and blood? Well, John gives us the answer. And you know what? The answer is the same word we sang together today as we lit the Advent candle. God loved the world so much that God gave God's only son. The word became flesh because of love. In this third act in the drama, the plot is about as tense and bleak as it gets when the protagonist arrives on stage. A protagonist, remember, is the one who takes the lead in a drama or a novel or a story. The protagonist is the hero, the champion. Have any of you ever seen those old silent film clips in which there is a struggle going on between some damsel in distress and a villain with a handlebar mustache that curls up at the end? And the woman is usually crying, but I can't pay the rent. And the villain comes back, but you must pay the rent. But I can't pay the rent, but you must pay the rent. And back and forth it goes until suddenly some guy who always looks like a Canadian Mountie arrives and, and flexes his muscles and says, I'll pay the rent. And the woman flutters her eyelashes and gushes, my hero. That's sort of how it goes. But see, this is something of what happened in Bethlehem. We were all out of options in this world. Our backs were to the wall, and we couldn't pay the rent. And so Jesus, the hero, God's protagonist, who also happens to be God, appeared on stage, and everything was changed. Tim and I got to spend a little time earlier this year with the author Brian McLaren, and Brian told a story about one of the all-time worst days of his life. He was in his early 20s, and the girl he loved and was engaged to marry told him that she was still in love with her old boyfriend. And she told him this on the morning after their wedding shower, at which they had been given three toasters, an electric frying pan, bath towels, etc., etc., and stunned at this news, McLaren rushed out of his fiancé's parents' house where they had been staying 
and walked the streets of that little town for hours, angry, brokenhearted. It was a chilly October Sunday morning, and although he was barefoot and wearing only jeans and a tattered t-shirt, he felt desperate to go and slip into a church somewhere. He had left his watch back at the house, and he had no idea what time it was, and the streets were deserted, but he saw one man trimming hedges a block or so up the street, and he walked to where the man was. Excuse me, he said, do you know what time it is? The man looked at his watch and said, it's almost 10. Brian thanked him and walked away, shivering now in his bare feet. Just a minute, the man called after him. Do you need to talk? Brian says he was close to tears by now. And he asked the stranger, are you a Christian? Yes, the man said, and invited Brian into his home gave him a cup of coffee, and then he and his wife and their 10-year-old son sat with him in their kitchen and listened to his emotional story. And then they prayed for him, even the boy. As it happened, they were charismatic Roman Catholics. And Brian wrote letter later, he said, I left that house in a very different place than when I had entered it. Oh, and and for those of you who are still wondering, Brian and his fiancée worked it out and have been married long enough now to have gone through all three of those toasters. When Brian McLaren was barefoot and broken, and before he could act on his own intention to try to connect with God by going to church, God came to Brian in the unlikeliest form of a hedge-trimming stranger. This is what God does for you and me, has always done. Out of nothing but love, always God has been reaching for us, most perfectly and concretely, in the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible shows Jesus at the center of human history. Flannery O'Connor said there are three ways to write a good story. First, she said, you can start at the beginning and plow on through till the end. Or two, you can start at the ending and then go back to the beginning and make a go of it. Or three, she said, you can start with a central event and let everything flow into it and let everything turn and flow out of it. And that's precisely what God has done. That's the way God has rewritten the story of the world and your story and my story too, if we'll allow it. His coming has changed everything because he has brought to the world what he brought when he came to the world was was bigger than most of us think. When Christ came to the world, it was to bring something bigger than the comforting news that God is down here with us in the dark. I mean, that's news. But he brought bigger news. He brought bigger news than that our sins can be forgiven and we can go to heaven when we die. That that is a good gift. But he brought a bigger gift. The gift Christ brought was nothing less than everything God meant to give us on the first day of creation. In the beginning, 
God made us good and free and strong, and God honored us with worthy vocation for the living of our days, extravagant permission to enjoy this life. God gave us the grace of boundaries to tell us who we are and who we are not. That was in the beginning. And when Jesus came, he came to do nothing less than to give us all of that beauty back. Everything God had given, we had blown, had lost. All that God had created, we had turned back to chaos. All that God had shaped, we had twisted. But Christ came to give us the gift of restoring all that we had broken and the beginning again of all that God had intended on that first day. He came to give us back our vocation, a worthy reason for living down here. To give us back the joy of permission to enjoy all that God had created. To give us the health of boundaries, wise and gracious ways to know who we are down here. He came to give us back our sense of being at home in the world. A sense of being at home with ourselves and with our neighbor and with God. He came to give us back relationship with the living God. When we couldn't pay the rent... Jesus came and said, I'll pay it. And he paid so much more. And let's be sure not to miss this. To really know him who was born at Christmas is to take a risk. It's to take some new leap of faith and to let something in us actually be changed. To receive the gift of Christ is to let him grow up in us. And this is something we need especially to hear at Christmas time. It's natural, of course, to sort of want to keep him as a baby. Who doesn't love a baby? You know, At Christmas, we really do have Jesus just the way we like him best, weak and wordless. The Jesus of Bethlehem really is small enough and passive enough to pick up For a little while, like a puppy or a doll, and then put down again when we are good and ready to get on with our business. The thing is, he won't let us keep him that way. Read the story. It's no time at all before he ditches the manger and breaks loose and comes after us. He's developed a voice now, and he uses it to call people's names, your name, my name. He crooks his finger and invites us to follow him into all the hard, sinful, sad, broken places of the world. And all the sinful, sad places in us, too. Because these are precisely the things he came to take hold of. And, of course, on the cross... Jesus fully took hold of everything that sickness and sin and death would do to us down here. He took hold of all that the snake had curled around down here. And something broke in his dying. And what got broken was the power of any of those things to have the last word over us. And so, friends... May God give to you and to me today the gift of fresh astonishment and awe at the Christmas news that it's real, that it's for us, 
and that it's for this very day to change everything. And if something in you is opening to what Jesus the Christ came to bring, then claim it for yourself. This child has come to take you by the hand and lead you back to Eden. Take the hand, the great hand of God, which for your sake and mine became the hand of a little child. Take the hand and let the child lead you back to life. And so come, Lord Jesus, and be at home in these old hearts of ours. Be at home in us so that we may learn to be at home with ourselves and with you. Be at home in us so that we may be your agents of good news, of peace and justice and reconciliation in this world. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.